Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning to worship with us. Um, today, I'd like to uh, continue in our study of Isaiah chapter 40. There's an insert in your bulletin to follow along if you like. And if you didn't get one, like one, our ushers would be happy to, to give you one right now. When we uh, face a challenge in life, one that really rattles us to our core, uh, one thing that helps us get through it is receiving some sort of comfort, to know we're not alone, to know someone understands and cares for us. And today as we go back into Isaiah chapter 40, this is, Isaiah explains how God offers us comfort um, when we're in great danger or face uncertainty, which is what Israel was facing in the context of this chapter. Several nations were plotting to invade their land with great armies and so on, and throughout Isaiah's prophecies, he deals with the uh, problem of fear and distress the people are feeling. They're asking questions, where is their God? And uh, Isaiah 40, God is giving them things to hang on to from him that will give them great comfort in the face of distress or discouragement that they're facing. God commands his, people, his people's comfort twice in verse 1 of chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And as I said before, Isaiah chapter 40 through 66 really is all about God's comfort for us uh, that he has. And I've outlined at least nine great comforts from God in those chapters all the way to the end of Isaiah. Five of them are in chapter 40. So we're kind of spending a little time looking at these, uh, but they're all kind of connected. Uh, we've so far seen our first comfort, beginning in the first few verses, is that God wants to know if we believe in him, we're one of his children, one of his people, our relationship with him is secure no matter what happens, no matter what we face. It's one great comfort we begin with. The second one we looked at last time, where God uh, basically in the text called out with three voices, uh, his word becomes a great comfort to us. The promise of God is reliable, the second great comfort. Today we're going to look at the third great comfort in Isaiah 40. One way uh, we can receive comfort <clears throat> that comes out of the lesson for today is by getting a larger perspective of our situation. Because when we're going through any difficulty or we're in trouble or feeling anxious, fearful, or distressed, what happens is our vision narrows to a great extent. Uh, we seem to only be able to focus on that. We, our vision dims. It's like we've got blinders on. All, it's all we can see. It fills our, our field of vision. And God knows that one way we can receive comfort is by getting a larger perspective, <clears throat> putting things in perspective uh, when our vision narrows. Uh, I remember when I was a, a child, <clears throat> like a lot of kids, I had a dog who was my best friend. <clears throat> and we did everything together. And I came home one day from school, and 
learned that she had been killed when she ran out into the street, hit by a car. I was inconsolable. <clears throat> Obviously, one thing I needed was comfort. And my mom was probably, and my wife can concur, one of the greatest comforters you would ever run across. <clears throat> she came alongside me, sat with me for a while, and she acknowledged, you know, your dog, she'll be missed. But you know, Jim, you have other animals that you love and you need to take care of them. Uh, what about your lambs, uh, your gophers, and your rabbits, and your frogs, and your turtles and snakes, and salamanders. What about all the, she's, bro she's broadening my vision. Oh yeah, I, you're right. It, it may sound strange, but it really did help me. I, my blinders were on in my sadness, and she just broadened, there was life all around me, and I, had, I still had lots of pets. And she was offering me comfort by helping me see a, a bigger picture in my life. I believe that's what God wants to do with us. We can gain a perspective of things when we go up higher, as you know. We see a bigger picture. Uh, and that's what we're going to see today in Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, God's third comfort to his people who may be fearful, anxious, distressed, or in trouble is helping them see their lives from a much higher perspective. Let me read the passage today. It's too long for me to do this in one sermon. So next week is part two, but it's, a, it's kind of a different perspective on the same idea, but let me read the first part of it today. Isaiah chapter 40, I'm jumping in at verse 12. <clears throat> Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span <clears throat> and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him, with whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? Who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol... A craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot, and he seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. I'm going to stop there. And I'll pick up the rest next time, which is 
perspective on steroids, basically. Now, if you listen carefully, beginning in verse 12, and going through actually further than we went, Isaiah asks a series of literally rapid-fire rhetorical questions. And those repeated, those, that repetition uh, serves to persuade us, you see, that God is greater than any problem we're ever going to face. He's taking us up higher. When we go up higher and remember how great he is, it puts everything in perspective. And one of the best things we can do when we're in trouble, when we're afraid, when we're anxious or distressed, is reflect on God's greatness. That's what we're going to talk about today. Back in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah's ministry actually began, his call to ministry, I think, began there, where... uh, the context is, Isaiah, in chapter 6, is going through a tough time in his life. A lot of uncertainty. His friend, King Uzziah, just died. He's filled with grief and uh, disappointment. Um, they held out a lot of hope with that king who served a number of years until he, uh, he became proud and God had to discipline him. And there was... Probably a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. He certainly was overcome with grief. His friend had died. And in Isaiah chapter 6, I want you to listen again to how God comforts him. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. He, the two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God comforted him by taking him up higher. <laughs> giving him a higher perspective of the world in which he found himself in. Isaiah learned firsthand that God was high and lifted up above everything else. And now in chapter 40, he's trying to help us get a higher perspective, if you will, of our situation. And I'll, in a few minutes, you'll understand why he's saying this to Israel right now at this point in their history, but by extension, Things, the reason we can profit from it as well. The first of these rhetorical questions, uh, Isaiah helps us by focusing in on God as creator. (laughs) As we read, who has measured uh, the waters in the hollow of his hand? So he goes through these rhetorical questions. Who has done this? Who measured that? Uh, Who calculated the dust of the earth? Who directed the spirit of the Lord? Uh, With whom did he consult? Um, And the rhetorical questions are intended to leave us really with our mouths wide open uh, before the God who is far greater than anything he's made. 
who is unsurpassed in his understanding of his creation and who is the very source of all moral standards and judgments operating in the creation. He's far greater than anything we'll encounter in the world we live in, in other words, and he's also self-sufficient. He doesn't need anybody. He needs no counselor. He needs no help. Our fears and problems are put in perspective when we reflect on how great our Creator is. Listen, Isaiah tells us in this passage that the greatest part of creation that we see, the mountains and so on, fit in the palm of his hand. And the smallest details of creation, the dust, he measures that, the little specks. He's got it all measured out. And all that leads to one final rhetorical question and conclusion in verse 18. To whom, then, will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? In other words, he's incomparable. And as the song told us, he's also indescribable. Isaiah takes us up higher as he compares God with the whole power of all the nations around them. Listen to verse 15 and 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket, regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Compared to God, the nations are nothing. They're a drop in the bucket. Their significance compared to God is like a speck on a scale. Uh, immeasurable, insignificant, void. <clears throat> Why is God telling them this? Because the, ve listen to me carefully, this is, now we're going to see the correlation to us. <clears throat> Why is he telling them this? And specifically mentioning the nations here. Well, take out the word nation and put in your trouble. Just write it in the blank. Why is he telling this? Because the very thing they were most afraid of and causing the greatest distress and uncertainty in their life were the nations surrounding them who were threatening to invade them, who already had tried. Assyria, Egypt, Babylon. Here is what God is saying to them and us so that we may receive his comfort. God is greater than anything you fear. God is greater than anything in the world you're worried about. And knowing that God is greater than any difficulty I face, we should find great comfort. If you want to know how great he is, just take a look uh, at verse 16. It's kind of humorous. Uh, Isaiah tells us, you know how great God is? There's not enough wood in Lebanon. Take the, take the whole place. There's not enough wood there or animals on earth sufficient enough to worship him fittingly. There's not enough. We don't have enough. 
stuff to burn in a sacrifice to reflect his worthiness. Even Lebanon's not enough to burn, the whole thing. Nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. There's nothing on earth greater than he is. Compared to the other things we tend to worship, trust in, and stand in awe of, this is what God's saying as we come down. Uh, compared to the other things we worship, trust in, and stand in awe of, God stands absolutely alone in greatness and worthiness. No rival whatsoever. Verses 18 to 22, whom then will you compare God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? And then he moves into this little word on, on idols. As for the idol, you see, uh, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. And if he can't afford the gold and silver, he goes down and cuts a tree. Uh, a nice piece of wood and hires a craftsman to form it into a nice little idol. Uh, but he has to make it so the idol won't tip over, won't totter, you know, on a table. Make it strong enough and have a good base on it, see? Isaiah's taking us up higher. He <laughs> He compares our trust in idols with the one true God. He says, let's compare. Idols are made by people. God has no maker. He created people. Uh, idols are made from raw materials in the earth. Ironically, materials that God made. In short, what he's saying is, idols are a joke compared to God. Now, I know how you're thinking, probably. Say, yeah, these ancient people serving those idols. <laughs> That's not us. We're, we're, we don't have any application in this passage. <laughs> if you think trusting in idols does not apply to you, you need to know that uh, uh, we can have, as Ezekiel has told us, the prophet Ezekiel and other prophets, referred to idols of the heart, which is where any idolatry begins. Um, the Hebrew word for trust is batach, batach. What's interesting about that word is <clears throat> batak is, is a word used by the prophets almost exclusively for trusting in Yahweh, trusting in the Lord. If you batak anything besides the Lord, it's idolatry. According to the prophets. Now, <clears throat> Isaiah's going to have a little more to say about the idols we worship, specifically the idols of our heart, in an upcoming chapter. So hang on. I'm not going to go there today, although he
he introduces it to us here. Today, what we learn is that our fears, our problems, the distresses, our anxieties, our uncertainties, our distress and troubles, as well as the idols we trust to help us, are absolutely reduced in size when we compare them with the greatness of the living God. Nothing compares. <laughs> what happens, like I said, when we find ourselves in trouble, distress, threatened, fearful, anxious, <clears throat> all of a sudden, that thing looms very large in our field of, vis <laughs> of vision. And uh, what God wants us to, to do is uh, broaden that field. And reflect on just how great he is. When we're in trouble, we're going to need some comfort. One way we receive comfort is by getting a, a larger perspective. That's the third comfort. He's giving his people a larger perspective. He's taking them up higher as they face these fears and uncertainties that he's addressing. This, uh, this is a truth, by the way, that uh, a man named Agur, A-G-U-R, realized when he was in trouble. He, uh, he had a burden. Uh, it's called, the word burden in Hebrew is also translated oracle. Let me read to you uh, what he says in Proverbs 30, verses 1 to 4. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle, or the burden. There's something he, he was struggling with. We don't know exactly what the problem was. But the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ukal, uh, he says, Surely I am more stupid than any man. I, I don't have an understanding of man, neither do I have wis learned wisdom, nor do I have the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. What he's doing here is, I'd like some answers. I don't know what to do with this huge burden I'm carrying. Where is God? Who's ascended or descended to give us some answers here? Agarsi realizes he, he's got a situation. He needs to go up higher. He needs perspective, a heavenly perspective in his troubling situation. And the highest perspective anybody can ever have, of course, is God's. Isaiah tells us we need to go up higher than the idols we trust or whatever we're trusting in. Uh, and by the way, in the bulletin today, uh, I've listed a number of uh, passages from the Psalms on the greatness of God. And uh, I've included, also if you want to come up afterwards, I've expanded that 
uh, a listing of biblical survey of God's greatness on the sheet down front here. You're welcome to pick one of, one of those up because I think I'd suggest a great exercise to do when we're facing uh, uncertainty or fear, anxiety, is to get perspective by focusing in on God's greatness. So I urge you, uh, even this week, whatever you're going to face, realize he is greater than anything in this world we're ever going to encounter. In John 10, 29, Jesus said that our Father, this was Jesus' confidence, our Father in heaven is greater than all. He made all things, sustains all things, and is greater than everything. There's no one higher than he is. He's incomparable. There's nothing too hard for him. There's not enough materials on earth to offer him that would fittingly fittingly demonstrate his worth. And by the way, Jesus answered Agur's question in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. He said it to him, to Nicodemus, who's struggling to understand what Jesus means by being born again. He said, you know, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And what he's saying is, I'm the one Agar was asking for. And I got the answers, you see. Nicodemus would have recognized that connection probably right away. And then he said to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you want to know the one true God, believe in Jesus, whom he sent. Let's pray today. Father, thank you today for your mercy and grace toward us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that uh, as we cry out for answers, uh, we realize you sent an answer to us in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. You showed up personally to take care of the whole source of all of our problems, which is sin. And we ask you to help us uh, now as we meditate on these things, and even this week as we may encounter something that throws us or we're distressed by or anxious about. Would you enlarge our vision? Would you take us up higher to uh, understand and remember how great you are and allow these thoughts to continue to permeate not only our minds, but sink deep into our hearts so that nothing, absolutely nothing, can cause us to stumble, as the psalmist says, as we place our trust in you. Help us to trust in nothing else but your saving grace and your constant presence and your reliable promise. And we ask all this today in Jesus' name. Amen.